Okay. All right. So this is going to be the first week of our podcast, which is yet to be named as of right now. Uh, my name's Austin Doherty, and I am, uh, I'm here with uh, my good friend. Zach, if you want to introduce yourself. Zach Ventures here. Yep. And uh, yeah, so we decided we are two outdoorsmen ourselves and have worked in the outdoor natural resources field for a long, well, not a long time, but got a few years under our belt. And uh, we decided that we wanted to start a podcast and talk about some of the the stuff that we do in the outdoors and uh, give some insight into the outdoors that some people may not have. And yeah, so we'll cut right into it. Uh, Zach, do you do anything? Fun exciting this week in the uh, in the outdoors. You do any hunting or fishing or anything? Well, it's a little hot here in Missouri. Uh, heat index was well over a hundred for the first half of the week and the weekend. But uh, so no squirrel hunting. Otherwise, I'd be trying to fill up my freezer with squirrels. But we did try and go fishing. Um, bites not too hot right now. Water temp is way up on all the rivers, but. Uh, it's getting to be crunch time for scouting, so I found some beavers. I'm going to start looking to trap and starting to find some good deer sign for bow season here. I know. that's come. See, what uh, I saw that uh, you sent me that picture, which I'll post it on, uh, on the Instagram coming up here probably tomorrow. I'll post that. Um, but, yeah, what were you guys fishing? What are the water temps like right now down there? Is it? And I saw you're fishing flowing water. Is that a spring or was that, um, I mean, that was that the spring that you sent me a picture of before? Uh, no, that was uh, the current river. That's one of the bigger rivers around here, but we were fishing kind of by an inlet uh, spring that kind of rolls into that. So it's a good little backwater eddy for suckers and drums and smallmouth and all that good stuff. And would you eat out of that river this time of year? I mean, like uh, I was just up north this past weekend and the fish were like warm as hell. So I don't know. Like for the water temps down there, what are they getting up to if you're in, you know, the 120 degree heat index? Yeah, I mean, some of the stagnant ponds that don't get that spring flow, it's, I wouldn't be surprised if the surface temp is somewhere in the 80s. The fish kind of, fish kind of turn to mush this time of year. But if you get near those springs, like on that river, I mean, the backwater little eddy was cold water and then the river was pretty comfortably warm so it's just kind of finding where that good water and bad water can kind of separate so you can start picking out where you want to fish nice nice and then uh so is in uh squirrel season is is that actually started for you or is that gonna is that coming up soon or is it is it like wisconsin i don't know what the regulations are down there is it similar start dates Nope. In the great state of Missouri, they give you nine months out of the year to shoot squirrels. Nice. And then, so I think it's April or begin sometime in April or May all the way through, uh, whatever nine months from that is. It's a long season. <laughs> yeah. So you could, uh, you could get a girl pregnant and have the, and, and have the kid all the whole during the squirrel season. You'd be good to go. During the entire squirrel season and not miss a beat. We actually we actually just ate our first batch the other day. We did uh, buffalo hot wing squirrel eggs, and they turned out it's just about the best meat in the woods if you do it right. And so did, was that out of that uh, Steve Ranella cookbook? I know you've been using that. 
Yep, that's all out of the meat eater cookbook. Uh, I haven't had a recipe out of there that I've not liked. I know. I keep telling myself I gotta buy buy that book, but I'll I'll get around to it. But <laughs> books spare me, yeah. <laughs> nerds. Uh, There's a lot of pictures. Though, so. <laughs> well, that sounds uh, that sounds a little bit more on my alley then. Um, yeah, no, that's uh, that's good. Um, How about you? Uh, this week, what did I do? Oh, I was uh, this weekend. Uh, I went up north. It was my folks' birthday, so I went up to uh, Three Lakes, Wisconsin. Uh, did a lot of uh, did a lot of fishing. Uh, did some ATVing. Uh, hung out a lot. Just did that. But uh, yeah, we we did terrible on the muskies. We went out. I mean, I was only there for realistically two days. Uh, the water temps are probably in the upper 70s you know they're mid mid to upper 70s like 75 77 is what i was getting on surface temp um but we couldn't turn any muskies or at least i couldn't my dad did catch one uh he caught a 29 inch northern and uh uh and a 26 inch muskie so a a little dink muskie but a muskie nonetheless uh everything was on spinner baits uh, bright colored spinner baits, uh, the white, uh, double cowbells. He was kind of, that's what he caught everything on, but we slow rolling. Them. Yeah, exactly. Just slow rolling them. Uh, and I know he had some looks. I didn't have any, he had some looks. He went out by himself one of the mornings and, uh, yeah, but, uh, I did real well. I took out a family friend of ours, um, which you can see the pictures on the Instagram. Her and I went out. She's not much of a fisher person. She's like 13 or 14. Um, took her out, kind of taught her how to fish. We went in uh, uh, Nine Mile Creek and slammed a bunch of tiny little smallmouth. I mean, it's right below a dam. We slammed a bunch of like between six and eight inch smallmouth, a uh, bunch of perch, bunch of crappies, uh, all dinks in that little creek. I mean, the creek is only like maybe two feet deep at its deepest point. Is that the one where you and me went and caught those chubs at? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, except we went a little bit further uh further there's two dams there and we went a little bit further up but yeah just uh we were using little nail tails uh chartreuse nail tails we caught a bunch but i'll tell you what we freaking killed up there is me and my dad and his friend we went out and there's this spot that i found the last time i was up we killed the perch i mean we were kind of biggest perch i've ever seen up there just simple your simplest rig as it gets just a, a jig with about half a crawler on there we we I don't even know how many we caught probably between three guys. We probably caught 20 good sized perch, a couple of real nice crappies, big pumpkin seeds. Um, and, uh, yeah, we caught two nice smallmouth too. One was probably 14 inches. And then my dad caught a, a nice 17 inch one. That was probably, I don't know, two, two pounds, maybe two and a half pounds. So a uh, nice one though, nice. but yeah, just did that yeah. and hung out all weekend. So, uh, yeah, it was a good time. Yeah, that uh, this midsummer blues kind of makes the fish. It's almost like ice fishing almost with those panfish. It's just as tiny as you can get and as small as you can get, and they just seem to gobble it up. Oh, absolutely. And then the thing is, it's so strange up there because it seems like they they get so isolated right now. And normally, typical fisherman syndrome, you always want to go shallow, which obviously this time of year, not the best idea to go into the shells with the water temps as high as they are. You're going to want to go deeper. It would be the common logic, 
but we were doing good in like five is five and a half feet of water we were fishing out of and we were just nailing them right on the edge of uh some weed beds yeah we we slayed them it was awesome and is that uh that mid-70s water temp about the hottest you see or is that more than what you normally see or uh i mean that's hard to say i would say for this time of year that's that's about right like fourth of july weekend i was up there and water temps hit 80 so that's like the highest they'll go is like early july and then they kind of dwindle off because the the air temps in the afternoon are getting into the you know mid 50s so yeah (laughs) but uh that's one thing that uh that's one thing that I can't get over here in Southern Missouri is at night, it just gets dark. It doesn't get cool. That's hilarious. So what are your temps looking like in the afternoon? Like, okay, 1 a.m., what are your temps like? Air temps. Air temps right now at 1 a.m., it's 70s. A uh, couple weeks back, it was 84 in the middle of the night. I mean, it was... Jeez. There's no escaping it. You're, I was talking to one guy, and he said, if you, if you go jump in a pool in June down here, you might dry off by October. <laughs> that, yeah, no, I remember I went down when we were down in Branson. That was like two years ago, and the water temps and, and the Finger Lakes, I think, is where we were at. Um, yeah, the water temps were like 85 degrees. You, you were sweating in the water. <laughs> yeah. so it was terrible. Um, but yeah, no, I mean the Northwoods always uh, for right now. I mean the Northwoods is always uh, always producing, and uh, I'll use that as a little bit of a segue here. So we'll go into our our first segment here. I think uh, about some articles, and one of the things uh, in the Northwoods, you know, there's a variety of wild animals up in the Northwoods of Wisconsin. You got your classic hodag uh, that you know uh, people may or may not have seen. Uh, but one big one, anytime you're in any woods, is the infamous Bigfoot. And uh, there was a news article. This was released uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, August 1st. This was released uh, down in Mammoth Caves, Kentucky National Park there, which I've camped. That's where I almost died in a thunderstorm uh, backpacking through there. Uh, so I'm actually pretty familiar with these campsites back there. But uh, CNN did a report on a gentleman that decided to uh, start taking desk pops at a Bigfoot. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I I could post a link to the article on the website and on the Instagram. It's pretty hilarious. Uh, There was a gentleman uh, who said that his campsite was uh, ransacked. And then he went to a nearby campsite. Uh, flashing his uh, his handgun, saying that uh, his campsite had gotten ransacked and that the other campers need to watch out, but don't worry, give him a call and he'll take care of it. And then proceeded to pop off a couple rounds at, uh, at quote-unquote, the Bigfoot that he saw. Uh, I thought the funniest part about this article was uh, what the, the people that he... Uh, the people that he went up to... They totally didn't believe him whatsoever, and they were so unimpressed by this gentleman. It made me laugh out loud, and uh, I'll see see the quote here, Uh, uh, and I quote, We're not believers, and I will use the second quote here, which uh, gave me a good chuckle. We shined a flashlight to see if there was an animal or something. 
and there was absolutely nothing there. And and I think the real hero of this story is uh, let's see what was his name. Uh, I think the real hero of this story was Boo, the Rhodesian Ridgeback, the dog that had no reaction to the alleged sighting. <laughs> Zach, what what do you think about this? Where do I begin? It's it's ridiculous to me that in some areas of this country, I have to be nervous <laughs> to walk around the woods once it starts getting dark out and have to fear for myself that I might get shot at for walking. And let's be realistic here for those. I know this is an audio podcast, but Zach, you, uh, you look a little bit like a Bigfoot, so you do have some concern there. You know, if my shirt is <laughs> off, I do resemble Bigfoot quite well. And... <laughs> I maybe I'm just afraid to do it, but uh, so yeah, I, I'm I'm tempted to just walk across some trail cans every now and again to throw some people off. You, you know, I I think that that would be a hilarious video because I, I'm not gonna lie to you, if I had a few Jack and Cokes in me and uh, had my sidearm on me, uh, you know, I I might be taking some shots at you. I'm not gonna lie to you, buddy. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> that's my number one fear. Yeah, no, that the whole thing from top to bottom was just comical, to say the least. This guy's, first off, I get it. Um, I've been out there. If you want to pack, by all means, you know, nothing against someone uh, packing some heat as long as it's legal. But uh, to go out and be flashing your sidearm at other campers and then to be popping rounds off in a, in a public campground like that, I think that's... Uh, I think that's a bit much. And can I also say that this was in Kentucky? So it wouldn't even have been a Bigfoot. It would have been a swamp ape. Everyone knows that. And I don't know what this guy's talking about. So, yeah. And then I guess my follow-up question to this whole article, and it would be a question that I've posed to a lot of hunters, just, uh, you know, the bar talk. Zach, do you think that Bigfoot is real? Well, if you're going to ask me a yes or no question, I'm going to say no. But I like the idea (laughs) of him being real. I like the idea that there's something out there that we just don't know yet. But if you're going to ask me if I can have $1,000 if I find one, or I just have nothing if I don't even look. I'm not gonna. Look. <laughs> yeah, I think that's. Uh, I th- I think that's pretty fair. I think that's pretty fair. Yeah, I uh, I don't I don't know about Bigfoot. I mean, I from an anthropological standpoint, and the biologist in me, say, you know, wants to say, well, it could be. I mean, there's there's nothing proving against it. But at the same time, to have a a, a, a creature that big that we haven't found on one trail camera of all of the trail cameras across the entire United States by how many hunters one has never actually been caught on film. Uh, well, you know, they have, uh, they have reason for that. Is that they're, uh, some people think that they teleport around those UV flashes at night. Oh, you know, you know what? You're right. How, how silly of me to even think, you know, Bigfoot has invisibility and they transport through the third and fourth dimension. You know, I'm gosh. Yeah, that is 
very scientifically based there, I think. Right. And the other thing is, nobody's hit one with their car. <laughs> very, Name very... any other animal in the world, and somebody has hit it with their car. That is, yeah, that is true. Well, you know, I, I, I guess I don't know. Do people hit orangutans? Like in <laughs> I'm other sure there's, I'm sure there's one case of one person hitting one, <laughs> or like hitting a silver silverback gorilla. Like you're in the lowlands of Africa, smoke that thing with a you know a nineteen uh, a, a 1987 uh, Ford Windstar that they're driving down there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that they just got it's brand new. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. This whole story from the top, I was like, oh my gosh, it, it was just wild. Well, I but, remember we were uh, at school. We were learning about uh, the Florida Panthers and they, how they were critically endangered, and there was forty-six of them left or something. Yeah, and still a few got hit by cars every year. Yeah. No, absolutely. No, that's. I mean. It's it's outrageous to me to think that uh, that's an, a creature that is real. We haven't we haven't seen yet. And uh, let but me I ask like you this: to think so. <laughs> I like I like I like the idea of Bigfoot too. So let's just pose the idea that uh, Bigfoot is actually real, and this guy was taking taking shots off at a, at a real thing. He's not just some crazy person that wants to you know shoot into the woods willy nilly. Let's just say that Bigfoot is real. Let's say that there is a reproducing population of Bigfoot wherever, somewhere in the United States. Do you think that we would be, do you think that we should hunt them? Um, that's a tough question. Only since, I, since we have zero on record. <laughs> but. I well, think just... if we knew that there's a sustainable <laughs> population, uh, you know, there'd be a lot of people that would want. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, you know, me I, as sick as it sounds, you know, I I might be I might be one of those people. Maybe in that first year when it's still like really cool, or those first <laughs> five years when you get one, but then after that, it just gets old. I'd probably, I'd probably draw for a tag in the first couple of years. Could you imagine grip and grinning a uh, Bigfoot? <laughs> have him, I'd have, you know, have him posed at a table, like, drinking a beer. Oh, it'd be like a Jack, be like Jack Link's commercial. Uh, Sit him up at the bar. <laughs> yeah, oh, you know there'd be Bigfoot fests all over Wisconsin with uh, dead Bigfoots all over bars mounted to the, the, the hoods of cars. It would be, it'd be a hoot hollering good time. But okay, so see that's another thing is what would the festival goers think? Do you think they would be for it or against it? I think you, you know, well, I guess that's all regional because I think if you if you had it in the Pacific Northwest, I think they'd be super against shooting Bigfoots. Um, but I think if you had it in some of the southern states, I think they would. I think they'd be about that life. <laughs> and I think the the Midwest states, if there was, you know, depending on where they were at regionally. I think the northern states, Wisconsin, Minnesota, would be kind of like the wolves where some people are for it, some people are against it. But at the end of the day, they'd allow it. Uh, but in the southern states, I feel like they'd be all for it. And you'd have a bunch of Florida Florida man would be all about shooting Bigfoots. <laughs> Gunning them down in the air, buddy. Oh, for sure. And so, well, and here, here's another question then. 
how how would you hunt a bigfoot gosh that's tricky <laughs> and let's just say I'd probably... let's just say that well and we'll we'll not say that it's any um in an ethical standpoint, so no hunting methods that aren't already approved for other wildlife. Yeah. Well, gosh, I'd probably set up some kind of stink station out in the middle of the woods um, just for attractants. And um, what would you use? For stink or for weapons? <laughs> for stink. <laughs> I mean, you name it. Fish. Uh, rotting meat, underwear, uh, you know, anything. And then, but the key is while I'm in my stand, I just am constantly shaking a camera because that's how they usually show up is when there's a really shaky camera around. Yeah. The, that, you know, that might be the single best way to get one. And then what would you use? Would you use a bow? Would you use a high-powered rifle? Would you would you try and trap them? Yeah, if I'm hunting down here in the Ozarks, I would definitely use a bow um, just because these shot opportunities aren't much farther with a gun because this forest is so dense that uh, why not make it more challenging and try and get one with a bow? Tune up the, tune up the draw poundage a little bit. He's probably got a lot of muscle, but... <laughs> You know, good, good uh, two-inch mechanical broadhead. I think I can put punch one through. <laughs> oh, geez, it, it's kind of sick to think about, but I, 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 I agree with your method. And would you eat it? Look, <laughs> I'll eat just about anything. <laughs> I already prefaced all of that with saying that I love to taste of squirrel meat. Um. You know, there's a lot of stuff that I've eaten that a lot of people turn their nose up at. Bring it up. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm kind of in the same boat. I know in a lot of Asian countries, um, they they do eat, like, various monkeys. And I feel like it would taste the same. I'm sure it'd be a super lean meat. Um, but, you know, I, I'd, I'd give it a go. I'd, you know, I'd uh, uh, brine it for a while and, uh, you know, see what would happen. I'm sure Steve Rinella would come out with the recipe right off the bat and we'd, uh, and then we could follow that. So I'd be into it. Yeah. I'd be into it. I'd take it for a spin. Another article that I came across. And for those that don't know, Zach and I are both from Chicago. Big Michael Jordan fans. Michael Jordan bought an 80 foot fishing boat that I'm sure he was down in cigars and super expensive wine, having a good old time in the, what was it? It was the uh, white Marlin open, which is the, one of the highest grossing or highest uh, paid fishing tournaments, 1.5 million to the biggest Marlin caught. And uh, yeah, this is in ocean city, Maryland, but yeah. So Michael Jordan balling out, you know, then the man, the myth, the legend decides to start fishing, starts off with just buying an 80 foot boat, entering in the biggest tournament in the country and going for gold. And basically he lost horribly and a math teacher won the tournament for the second time, won $1.5 million out of 400 boats were entered in this. 
And this guy, Hinkle, what's his name? Uh, Tommy Hinkle beat Michael Jordan in this fishing tournament and won $1.5 million. The real question is, Zach, how much did Michael Jordan bet on himself for this? Knowing the problems that he's had in his past, <laughs> I bet it's more money than I'll ever make in my entire life. I don't disagree. And I would also, I, and I, they need to write a follow-up article. We were talking about this before. They need to write a follow-up article because I am concerned for this guy, Tommy Hinkle, uh, with the competitive nature of Michael Jordan. Tommy Hinkle might be dead. <laughs> Michael Jordan, uh, yeah, he doesn't take losing too lightly. No, not at all, especially he buys an eight. I mean, imagine that. Imagine you okay. or me. Never, uh, not, and I don't know, I guess I don't know enough about uh, Michael Jordan if he's fished in the past. I don't know that he's much of a fisherman. But uh, imagine if you or I had never really fished before and then just roll up with an 80-foot boat decked out with Michael Jordan, Air Jordan logos. Oh, my gosh. I couldn't imagine. It'd be like showing up to a bass tournament for the first time in a 2019 Nitro with power poles and iPilot and everything else. It'd be nuts. Yeah, I uh, I don't know if this was his first time actually doing some kind of fishing tournament. I doubt he got taken too lightly or too seriously, rather. <laughs> but uh, you know, you gotta you gotta give him credit because that's great for the sport, and it really. Uh, I mean, they wrote a whole dang news article about it, and he finished 60th. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, well, hey, I mean, maybe uh, maybe Michael Jordan will stick to. Uh... Stick to fishing. Can you imagine Michael Jordan and like the Bassmasters? Oh, millions would tune into that. It would be it would be insane. He'd be he'd be the the Bo Jackson, except he'd be a, a three sport athlete. It'd be insane. Yeah, well, Bo's a huge bow hunter. Actually, yeah. Exa- oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. He was just on uh, Meat Eater podcast. Uh, yeah, he's a big bow hunter. But yeah, maybe he's the uh, Michael Jordan's the new Bo Jackson. Instead of hunting, he's going to do fishing. But good Lord, would I, I would never want to fish against Michael Jordan in my entire life ever for any reason. Oh my God. Can you imagine the smack talk he'd be saying? Oh my God. I would, I wouldn't know what to do. And then the other thing is, is then he could just buy everything you own in your life. Right. <laughs> he just say, I'll give you a million dollars. Cause I just sneezed and that came out of my nose. Um, uh, for your boat and everything else and your girlfriend and your dog. And I'd be like, well, you know, okay, I guess. You are Michael Jordan. <laughs> yeah, it, it's an honor, sir. Thank you so much for the opportunity <laughs> to sell everything I own to you. Um, yeah, and I, I did want to mention a quote because I give mad props to this guy, Tommy Winkle, or Tommy Hinkle, for not only going up against Michael Jordan and showing no fear, He's a math teacher, so you know this guy's a nerd. And he went up against Michael Jordan, and this was his quote that he said after winning, I'm an average Joe that likes to go fishing. Turn his cell phone off and go out. Crack a couple cold beers while fishing with your buddies. This guy, this guy's a man. This guy's a bro. got to respect it. You got to respect it. Craps, cracks a couple cold ones with the boys and beats Michael Jordan. Now that's a that's a story you you write home to mom about. That's the American dream. <laughs> you got it exactly. So let me ask you this: If you were in a fishing tournament, 
who would be one person, a, a famous person, could be anyone, who would you want to fish with? And this could be famous fishermen, this could be anyone. You know, I was just reading Emma Watson is a big fly fisherman. Fisher woman, it's 2019. Fisher person. <laughs> so, um, you know, that would be a very uh, compelling argument <laughs> to make. But Chris Pratt is also big into fishing. And I could see us just growing down and kicking a few cold boys back and just putting the smack down on some fish. You know, you, you kind of stole my thunder there. I would have went with Chris Pratt as well. But, you know, off the top of my head here, trying to think, you know, there, I mean, there's some good names. Chris Pratt's a good one. I don't know anyone that actually uh, fishes per se, or, you know, maybe this person is or isn't a fisherman, but I would want in my boat just because I think he's hilarious and would be a good time to fish with, would be The Rock. <laughs> yeah. I feel like The Rock could just dive in and just grab the fish and just pull them up and throw them on the boat and it'd be, it'd be good to go. Well, he's in his element. So you watched Baywatch? Oh, dude, he'd be in. He'd be just the. He'd be you know uh, diving all around grabbing fish. I'd be in, and then if I fly off the boat, he could save me. I'd be. It's a win-win. Yeah, um, I'll tell you one guy I wouldn't want to fish against. Okay, and I'm I'm curious because I have a sneaking suspicion. I have one written down in my notes right here, and I have a funny feeling you're going to go with the same person. But let's hear it. He's a huge fly fisherman, and I would feel very afraid to be standing next to him. Liam Neeson. Oh, okay. That. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I did not. Uh, I did not realize he's a fly fisherman. Yeah. No, that would be terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he would kill everyone in the tournament. And not think twice about it. Oh yeah. It super. He doesn't know what you who you are <laughs> or what you want, but he will find you. That's that, that. I'm sure that's what he says to get himself pumped up before the tournament. He just looks in the mirror and goes like, the, "The fish, I will find you and I will catch you." <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll tell you one person I would not want to fish against, and I'm going to stick with the sports uh, theme here a little bit. Uh, and I know I'd be willing to bet ten to one he would totally enter in a tournament like this, uh, like Michael Jordan, who I would not want to go against. Uh, O.J. Simpson. Oh no. <laughs> No chance. <laughs> yeah, um, you know if if the if the fish if the fish don't fit, you must have quit. Is I, I don't know <laughs> what would be happening, but I would not want to be going against him at all. Now he's getting a little old and senile too. I don't know if you've seen his Twitter stuff, but um, yeah, he would probably yeah it would not be good if he didn't win. He's a weird dude. Yeah, very strange bird, but. Yeah, so that is uh, that's the uh, that's the news articles for the week. Uh, anything you want to add? Is there any uh, news articles you came across, Zach? Uh, you know, we got that whole new uh, Trump organization with the ESA stuff, but we can save that for a later time when we're talking more uh, more outdoors and hunting stuff. But that's a big big deal that we need to start. Uh, getting the word out on i think okay yeah no i haven't i haven't really looked into that yet i saw some headlines for it but i didn't read the articles on it yet but yeah we could do a longer longer form topic on that maybe uh next week or something um but yeah so 
we wanted to talk about, and we'll say it's at 38 minutes here. Um, so something we wanted to that first 38 flew yeah, by. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so something that, uh, you know, why Zach and I wanted to start this podcast is because we're both of us are very passionate about the outdoors and both have our our areas of expertise in the outdoors. And I, w- I would be willing to say that we are actually experts in, uh, in our own little niches of the, of the natural resources. Uh, but what we wanted to talk about is our kind of our journey to getting to where we are in our current jobs, which unfortunately we can't say exactly where we work, but um, we could kind of give a background on how we got in the outdoors and why we're doing this. And uh what we do and we want to give advice to those that are going into the natural resources field and those that are in high school or maybe entering college uh, that may not know the, the best way to get in the uh, working full-time in the outdoors. So we're going to kind of talk about ourselves on this first podcast, give you background on us, what we do, our areas of expertise and our journey. So that maybe you know, like I said, someone in high school or in college can learn from this and maybe take a similar path. And uh, I urge you uh, to, you know, message us or anything like that. If you have any questions, I'm, you know, we'd be happy to answer any questions that you guys have. So, Zach, would you mind giving us, you know, kind of, I don't want to say your life story, but maybe how you got into the outdoors and what you're doing now and how you got there? Yeah. Um <clears throat> And I just want to preface all that with we might experts is a, you know, I'm not an expert in much. I just love what I do and I want to dive into everything that I like. So I just try and learn as much as possible. And, um, you know, everything that that involves. So this outdoors is my passion. And I guess it all started back with me and, Austin, when we were pre-facial hair, pre, uh, pre-puberty pre <laughs> almost, too. Um, well, you hit puberty in sixth grade, so um, speak for yourself. <laughs> I, I, did grow, I did grow a beard in uh, freshman year of high school. So, But, uh, yeah, we, uh, you know, we grew up fishing nonstop. Uh, public ponds, forest service, uh, or not forest service, but forest preserves around our county um, and all the way from there to getting kicked out of private ponds because that's where the biggest <laughs> fish were. And, uh, and, um, and I don't mean to interject here, but just as a little background, Zach and I are from uh, the suburbs of Chicago. So where we're from, there isn't a whole heck of a lot of public land and it's highly populated. So just throwing that out there. Sorry. Continue Zach. Yeah, no, I should have added that. Um, yeah, I mean, if you want a hunting opportunity, you have to drive at least an hour away. So we never really got exposed to that growing up. But fishing was what we did in our free time. And, I mean, it was, like I said, having the cops come and telling us you can't be here or, you know, fishing in the very few uh, public ponds around our house that we could. And, you know, we didn't really keep anything because you don't know what's in those waters and those highly populated areas and there's a lot of uh runoff and a lot of pampered lawns around there so we didn't really all we were doing was catch and release just because we loved getting out there 
Um, and then I didn't exactly know what I wanted to do with my life. And I just knew something outside. And I always loved animals growing up. And uh, after doing some research in high school and basically all on my own because high school guidance counselors are basically obsolete. <laughs> well, especially in the Chicagoland area, when you want to go into the outdoors field, they're essentially useless. About as useful as a poopy flavored lollipop. <laughs> um, but so just looking up stuff, you know, close to me, not close to me, whatever, to pursue something a little different than what I grew up with that I knew I would like, I found the University of Wisconsin in Stevens Point. Um, I didn't quite know what I wanted to do there. I just know that that would be a great vehicle to get me to where I found, I figured out I wanted to be. Um, so started there in 2012. Yep. 2012. And, uh, just started taking gen ed courses. I started out saying I wanted to be a fisheries major. Um, but then, you know, with the gen eds and Stevens Point, if you're in the natural resource field, they may, they have you take uh, natural resource classes. So we took fisheries classes. We also took wildlife classes, soil classes, water classes. Um, they really give you a whole, run you through the gamut of all their uh, majors just to kind of fine tune what you really want. So after doing that, I, uh, I didn't start hunting until I wasn't really exposed to it until freshman year there. Um, it's always something I wanted to do, but being from where I'm from, we just didn't have the opportunity, but started getting exposed to it. Wanted to uh, actually go out. So sophomore year, I got everything I needed. Uh, hunter safety, licenses, guns, everything. Um, after just saving up all summer long work and then finally dove into that. And then I realized that's what I want to do. I want to work out where, you know, where that's all going on at. In the woods, in the marshes, in the you know, wherever, outside. I, I want to be outside. So I changed my major to criminal law enforcement, hoping to be a warden. Took some warden classes. Then I realized that you'd not only have to pay your dues as being a police officer, which just wasn't for me, but your busiest days of work are the ones that you want to be out hunting and fishing in. So I thought that couldn't be for me. I I need to be out there as much as possible now. I started duck hunting more and more and fell in love with that. And still to this day, duck hunting is my passion. And uh, then after that, I said, well, let, let's go into wildlife ecology. Because unlike what most people think, because most people just think wildlife majors or wildlife classes, oh, you're going to be a game warden, you know. But uh, there's so many more options than that. Um, I should preface that, or no, okay. 
after I decided to be a wildlife major, I then went back to my hometown during the summer. And while working carpentry, I started my first internship. And it was a volunteer internship at Willowbrook Wildlife Haven. Um, I'd work five days a week with my dad, four days a week with my dad as a carpenter, and then two days a week volunteering at the rehab center. And that was anything from fledgling robins to ducklings to, you know, we even had sandhill cranes, nighthawks, birds of prey, um, anything, mammals included, possums, raccoons, anything back in my hometown that we felt needed rehab, we'd bring them in and rehab them. So uh, I did that and I liked it. I, I love animals like I did when I was growing up. And uh, I went back to school realizing that, yes, that is exactly something I want to do, whether it be direct or indirect, is work with animals. So, and their habitats, environments, everything like that. So I went through more wildlife courses, um, duck hunted a lot more. Um, probably more than I really should have. I remember every Wednesday, everybody had class at like nine. So we'd just go out and miss that nine o'clock so we could shoot ducks. But uh, that's, you know, that's what molded me for who I am now. And so then I got my first paying internship, a summer seasonal job in North Central Iowa the next summer. And, uh, I was working in Clear Lake, Iowa, and I was a habitat manager. So basically mowing native prairies to planting trees, manipulating wetlands for marshes and um, just different water levels and things like that for hunters. This is all on public ground. Um, and again, I loved that. I just loved hands-on stuff. So. That following summer, um, I graduated with a major in wildlife ecology, and I got a job working in western North Dakota in Williston uh, with Delta Waterfowl. And uh, I, and I don't mean to uh, to interrupt here, but um, what some means, and I know these jobs that you're talking about, uh, what were some tools that you use for finding these jobs oh like how i found them yeah exactly uh i pounded texas a&m morning afternoon and night every single day finding jobs i liked applying for jobs i like texas a&m has thousands of jobs seasonal uh full-time part-time you could differentiate all that um most of my jobs i've gotten through texas a&m but then uh there's a lot of other jobs that might not show up there like uh more state stuff just go to the state website um like iowa dnr or missouri department of conservation or anything like that they'll list their jobs there and then even like county stuff you can go into your county or surrounding counties or counties you would like to work in perhaps and 
you know, they'll list their jobs there too. But the broadest scale thing that I found is Texas A&M hands down. Yeah. And for, and for those that don't know, you could just Google Texas A&M job board. They have an excellent, excellent job board there just for natural resource jobs. You can find everything from gain worn jobs to graduate assistantships to PhD opportunities. It's a, it's an excellent tool for finding jobs in the natural resource field. Yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, that's, like I said, that's where I got a lot of my jobs at. So then I moved out to Western North Dakota. So being from Chicago, I, I was excited. There was a big change, but you know, I, I wanted to do this. So I decided you better, you better nut up or shut up. So moved out there working with Delta waterfowl. Uh, I did some research stuff. We nest dragged for nesting ducks. So that's just two ATVs attached by a hundred foot chain. And we get out to a grassy field that we have permission on and we just drive it back and forth and back and forth. And the drag, the chain would go over a, a hen duck and she would fly up off her nest. And we'd be looking back the whole time. And if we saw a hen pop up, then we'd go over there, mark it on our GPS and monitor it until it either hatched or failed. And, you know, looking back at the time, I did not like working that much. I, I love the job, but we were working 16 hour days, 10 days on one day off, you know, hundred hour weeks were not uncommon. It was crazy work but looking back on it that was the most fun i've ever had you know yeah, no, those are things that you'll never forget absolutely and i'm sure you learned so much about land management and habitat restoration from that from that job oh yeah and then that's the duck factory man that's where i started loving waterfowl and i got to see uh you know how the sausage is made um now I get to go duck hunt up there a lot, and it's it's just unbelievable to get to see where it all starts to where it all finishes and where it all continues. Um, so I did that for a couple months, and then I got another job about hour two hours south, also in North Dakota, banding waterfowl for a month. And basically we put these metal leg bands on ducks, uh, that we trap, and if hunters shoot these ducks with the leg band, then they call a number or enter it in on the website, and that'll tell the hunter, say, shot a duck I banned in North Dakota in Louisiana. Then that will tell uh, all the biologists different migration routes and things like that. It's been going on for I think it's been over a hundred years, but it's it's shaped the way that biologists and people understand waterfowl movements and migrations, which can be pretty confusing if you don't have information like that. So I did that for a month, um, and then I got a call from another job I applied for on Texas A&M about uh, working with Pheasants Forever back in North Iowa. And I took that job, it was another seasonal job, and I worked that for uh, 16 months. 
uh, something like that. And uh, another great habitat job. Um, we ran, I worked with Pheasants Forever in, in accordance with the Iowa DNR. And we managed about 7,500 acres um, for waterfowl, upland pheasants, uh, deer, turkeys, and all the little songbirds and small mammals and everything that kind of rolls in with that. Um, just a great job. You know, I love my time there. I love, love Iowa. I'd go back any day. Um, but then my seasonal job uh, finished up and I was looking for a new job and that brought me down to Southern Missouri and I'm now a biologist working down here and the Ozarks are, or some of the prettiest country I've ever seen. And kind of the, the thing that I do want to mention to those that are going into the natural resource field, and Zach is a perfect example of this. One of the things that you have to realize is going into the natural resource field, especially if you're from the Midwest, is you're likely going to have to move. And would you agree, Zach? I mean, for the most part, you have to be pretty flexible with, uh, with being able to move to different sites and being able to take um, temporary jobs, at least to get your start. Absolutely. You can't, uh, you can't have your dream job until you put in the work at other jobs. And, you know, that's the beauty of it. You might love another job or another area. You have to, you have to be able to uh, explore and find new places. And I mean, that's half the fun of it. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's, uh, you know, for those going into it is, like I said, you have to be flexible and especially, um, you know, if you're younger, if you're getting out of college, you're 21 years old, uh, you know, with the current, uh, you know, medical plans that we have in the U.S., you know, use that time wisely when you still, you know, you could be on your parents' health insurance and you may not have too many, you know, a mortgage or anything holding you back. Use that time to move around, see what you like. Um you know, expand your horizons, get the, get jobs that are temp jobs, because I'll tell you, one of the things with the natural resources field, a big thing is it's, and I, and I caution myself with saying this, but a lot of it is who, you know, not as much what, you know, and if you could get uh, big names on your resume, like, you know, for you, uh, pheasants forever and working with different DNRs, that looks great on a resume to get that full-time job, you know, a few years down the road. Yeah, for sure. And it's, I mean, you get your foot in the door with a couple people and they hear about a job and, you know, you get to write their name down on a resume or even if sometimes these organizations will put out a job, but only kind of to select sites. And if you just get your foot in the door, then that opens up, you know, a whole different can of worms for you with uh, Intel and just people that are looking out for you. And what was, uh, in your opinion, what was the kind of the most meaningful, or if you had to say the most important step that you took um, that led you into, or, you know, allowed you to prosper in the natural resources field? Was it the college that you selected? Was it a particular job that you took? Um, you know, Stevens Point is very renowned in the natural resource field. We uh, 
I mean, we even took a six-week course up in northern Wisconsin doing field stuff like electroshocking fish and, you know, live trapping small mammals and soil testing, water testing. You know, you get to learn about all that stuff in colleges, but the Stevens Point actually takes you out for six weeks and they actually have you do it. So that's that was a giant resume builder for me just to get experience and then you know, if they see you volunteer, um, a lot of times it doesn't matter where you volunteer as long as they see you volunteer, but volunteer somewhere. Um, and then, yeah, just start taking jobs however you can get them. Just keep grinding, keep grinding. And, you know, if you got to move, move. Uh, don't settle and just keep getting after it. That's, that's what you have to do. Fair enough. Good, good advice here. So, um, Zach, I think that was some great advice. Uh, I think that's, and I think your, your route to getting a full-time job working as a biologist is probably very similar to a lot of people working those part-time jobs, being able to move around and just doing whatever it takes to get that full-time job. And then once you get that full-time job, it's, you know, it's a lot easier to shift and move around. Um, yeah, and you know, the best thing about that, too, is if you're a hunter working in North Dakota, we got to hunt early geese August 15th and take advantage of that. Yeah. Working in Iowa, I got to become a resident there and hunt deer in Iowa, which takes usually takes three or four years to draw a tag as a non-resident. You know, it's, it's you get to take advantage of a lot of stuff if you move rather than just kind of sitting around your hometown just making do and, uh, you know, just going through the motions and just get out and explore, you know. Yeah. So now I will talk about my path where I stayed in my hometown and just mulled around. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, You're not anymore. Shut yeah, up. Yeah, not anymore. But um, so uh, Zach and I were at, so we like I said, we grew up in the same hometown in uh, the suburbs of Chicago. Um, I grew up my dad. Both both my parents are uh, big outdoor outdoors people. Uh, my mom does a lot of, you know, grew up doing a lot of camping. My dad, a huge fisherman, uh, did a lot of hunting. So I grew up uh, going up to northern Wisconsin, up to Three Lakes, Wisconsin, uh, doing a ton of fishing for as long as I can remember. Baraboo, Wisconsin, we did a lot of fishing there. Um, and then also, as soon as I was old enough to get my, uh, my hunter safety license, I, uh, I got that and did a lot of upland game hunting, so pheasant, quail chucker uh dove all that in uh, central illinois which was awesome uh then i also as far as my outdoor activities and zach i I know you do this as well but you didn't really touch on it but i do a ton of snowmobiling i do a ton of atving a lot of snowboarding too um so i grew up doing all that stuff um and in high school just like zach said as long as you know as soon as i got my driver's license we were going from pond to pond in our town just fishing any little body of water and for those that aren't familiar with the chicago suburbs a lot of times we'd be five feet away from a restaurant or five feet away from a you know a mall just you know throwing lines out in any little pond that we could find uh 
on the intersection of a highway and we had people honking at us. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. Standing on like, you know, little man-made ponds that had like waterfalls with, you know, advertisements all around them where people think that there's no fish in there. So we're pulling out five pound largemouth. Um, That's where you caught your, or that's where you lost your, uh, your white whale. Yeah. Yeah. That striper, which I still am convinced that that was a striper in that pond to this day. Um, But um yeah, and so all through high school, I grew up doing all sorts of outdoor activities, snowmobiling, hunting, fishing, all that stuff. And uh, I was a little bit different. Uh, my intentions, uh, initially, I was planning on going to University of Iowa. I uh, decided that that was too expensive. I went to community college my first year. I uh, took all my gen eds, and I knew that I wanted to be something in the biology field. I didn't know if I wanted to go natural resource or whatever. Um, I was actually pre-med. Uh, my first year of college at Stevens Point was Zach, so I was biology pre-med. Um, and after taking a lot of the classes, so I was not in the College of Natural Resources like Zach was. I was in the College of Letters and Science, but a lot of the classes at UWSP, University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point, uh, they overlap. So I took ichthyology courses, I took ecology courses, botany, plant biology, all that different stuff. Um and I realized I liked uh, plants and animals a lot more than I liked people. Uh, so I uh, ended up dropping the pre-med emphasis and just stuck with the biology emphasis. Um, graduated. I applied. And all through college, I worked my summers just doing landscaping. My dad owns a landscape company. So I did landscaping over all of my college summers. So I didn't really do the internships like Zach said. But I'll kind of touch on the fact that if, if you aren't already doing those internships, don't think that that isn't important because those landscaping, you know, working with the private landscape company actually helped me immensely uh, in the long run getting the jobs that I've worked. Uh, yeah. So I graduated uh, college and right, uh, right before I graduated, I'd applied for a seasonal position as a park ranger in DuPage County, Illinois. Uh, which DuPage County, Illinois, I know most of you have probably never heard of it, but the Forest Reserve District that I work for surprisingly was super busy. I mean, we had uh, over 20,000 acres that we maintain, over 140 miles of trails, uh, 4.2 million visitors per year at our preserve. So we were busy. And so I worked as, yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's crazy. And so uh, I worked there. My, you know, right out of college, I was only out of college one week and uh, started right away working full time as a seasonal. I was fortunate that a full time ranger position did open while I was there. I applied for it, got the job, starting started working as a ranger, which uh, working as a ranger for those that want to go into that, it is an amazing, amazing job. And I wasn't with the National Park Service. I wasn't with the Forest Service or, you know, Fish and Wildlife. I was with the county where I grew up. My my ranger station was two miles away from my house. And uh, I got to learn all of the preserves and all this beautiful, beautiful nature that was real close to home. I got to do some amazing things. And as a ranger, at least with my district, is we got to do a lot of different things. We were the jack of all trades. So um, I got certified as a wildland firefighter, got my S-130, S-190, got my 210, got all these different wildland certifications. 
uh, got in-house certifications for tree felling. I'm USA archery for kayak instruction, all this different stuff. So I got to do all sorts of different things. And for those that are looking to go into a career as a ranger, realize uh, not every day is all uh, uh, gumdrops and rainbows. For whatever reason, the public loves just pooping on everything. <laughs> they just love actually taking craps on everything. So a lot of my job was cleaning crap off of stuff. Um, and as a ranger, it's no fun to go in a hole. You want to see it. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so you, you're going to have to clean latrines. You're going to have to do that stuff, but, uh, gosh, you get to do so many different things. No two days are the same. And I re- received some excellent training. I worked with an unbelievable crew of Rangers that were awesome. And uh, I got to do all sorts of different stuff, which is where I'll mention my passion Uh, aside from hunting and fishing, um, is environmental education. I love teaching courses in uh, environmental education. I led tons of fishing programs, kayaking programs, teaching, you know, and I loved working with special needs kids, uh, you know, doing adaptive uh, recreation, all sorts of different stuff. So for those looking into that thing, rangering is awesome. Um, After rangering, which another thing I will say is uh, if you're planning on being rich, uh, don't go into the natural resources field at all and definitely, <laughs> definitely don't become a ranger, uh, because, uh, unfortunately with how expensive Illinois got at the time and particularly my County, uh, it kind of forced me out of the County cause I just wasn't making enough money where I could afford to live there. So I ended up moving up to beautiful Stevens point, Wisconsin, uh, where, Currently, I work a desk job, but I do still work within the natural resources. And then uh, right now, I'm uh, I'm working on getting my master's of natural resources. So uh, I'll be starting that in the fall, and I'll be able to do some research and a lot of different things. So I'm excited for that. But uh, what I wanted to touch on is, and having worked in a position where now, or in the past, and currently where I've done hiring within the natural resources field, for those that may not have internships or be able to get internships in you know doing something like you said like banding ducks or doing wildlife management or you know whatever that may be like i said i work for my dad's company just doing standard landscaping working on equipment but don't think that that is not beneficial towards the natural resources the reason why i was hired as a ranger was because i knew how to work on motors it was because i knew how to work on equipment it was because i knew a lot of small skills that other rangers and other people in the natural resource field may not know. And there's big ones that I like to mention that I think are very beneficial is GIS is a huge one. If you know, if you know GIS and you're, and you're looking to get, or you may be considering a a career in the natural resource, get GIS certified if you can, or at least uh, learn it yourself as much as you can. Cause you put that on a resume that puts you above and beyond most other candidates. Um, but for me, as far as certifications and what I'm more well-versed in is, you know, the environmental education and doing rangering, big stuff that you want to have. GIS is a huge one. Uh, your S-130, S-190, that's a huge one. And that's wildland firefighting. That's a big one to have. And and that's stuff that you can get on your own. You don't need to go through work to get that kind of stuff either. No, absolutely. So you could look, you know, Google S-130 or Wildland Firefighting classes near me. You could do all of the courses online. All you have to do is a field day, which 
the field day where I was at, I think it cost 130 bucks to do the, uh, to do the field training, which whoop de doo And depending on the grants, like I actually, it was 130 bucks, but because I did it in such a small town, a grant covered me. So I didn't even. And that could be the, that could be the sole difference between you and another guy with your same credentials. This guy has 130, 190. We can, you know, you take him right out of the box, fight fires. You know, in Iowa, I did a lot of prescribed burns. Um, I have all that stuff too. The work uh, gave it to me or was able to put me through it through them. But, you know, if, if I didn't get that job, it was because somebody already had all that stuff, you know. 30 S190. Uh, yeah, it's a huge thing. It's super easy to get. You could do it online, the first part of it, and then you just pay for a field day. It's super cheap. And I know you said that your, your company was able to put you through it. And how easy is that class? Uh, anyone should be able to do it. No problem. Yes. If you could read and understand English, you'll and be able to pass. Class, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You'll be good. And I mean, it's great stuff. And uh, prescribed fire time is, uh, I mean, that's a great skill to have. But I mean, another one that I had, if you're looking to go into rangering, is uh, your search and rescue training. That's a super easy one. It's a hundred question test. You got to do a field day, same sort of thing. It's like 70 bucks to do it. At least when I did it is it's real easy to do. So a lot of the stuff you could get into just doing it on your own time. That'll put you above and beyond the competition. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then I know we, we talked about kind of our college experience. Is there any classes or anything that you could recommend to people that that they should take or anything like that if they're looking to get into the natural resource field? Um, you know, a lot of these applications are asking if you have relevant coursework. And I say that specifically, relevant coursework. So, I mean, it might suck to take an extra, you know, ichthyology or, you know, animal physiology but just think of it as work you know you're investing you're you're building up that resume they want to see you do uh, just they want to see that you have experience in every way possible and i mean if you can get into clubs like the wildlife society i was in the wildlife society at school um in the past school too you can put all that stuff on hands-on work you can do. I volunteered cleaning out Kestrel Hawk nest boxes for a couple days. And I actually, believe it or not, gave up one of my opening day of duck seasons to do a bag check. Idiot. Complete idiot. I have not missed one since, but (laughs) I gave that up to do bag check, voluntary bag checks for the Wisconsin DNR to write down harvest and stuff. Um, just little stuff like that adds up to, you know, like I said, if it's between you and the other guy, you need to have at least one thing up on him, you know? Absolutely. No, I totally agree. And so I would say, you know, just to round this out, I would say kind of the stuff that you have to be able to do our, our overall, the overall theme of this is pick a college that is strong in the natural resources because it's not necessarily about the classes. It's also about making connections with teachers, with clubs and extracurriculars, getting out there, hunting, fishing, learning the field that you're going to be going into. 
there's also the, uh, you know, beyond that, it's the willingness to be able to move, especially in the natural resource field. You're going to have to be able to move. You're going to have to be able to go where the action is, is whether if you're working with migratory waterfowl, you're going to have to be able to go on migratory routes. If you're working with a certain species, you know, if you're working with elk, you're going to have to go out west. If you're working with sturgeon, you know, you may stay in the Midwest, you may go somewhere else. You know, there's a lot of different things. And depending on the niche that you want to enter into, you have to be able to move to that area. Um, and then I think the the last thing is, is, just getting yourself experience, life experience beyond that. And that's whether you want to take it upon yourself to get certifications or if you want to volunteer or just talk to people in the field, do ride alongs, talk with your local ecologist, talk with your local biologist, talk with whoever you need to talk to and see what route they took. Because, uh, I mean, you could try and figure it out yourself and wing it, but it makes it a lot easier if you take the advice of other people that may have, uh, you know, made some wrongs that you can avoid. Um, would you agree? Anything I missed? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I don't know if you want to, before we cut out, I was going to put it the, if we can move it around. But um, going back to what you were saying about jobs before natural resources, yeah, I had, you know, a whole other resume before my natural resource field that I could have filled the paper out with of, you know, I was a carpenter, a greenskeeper, uh, you know, anything and everything I could do to make money I was doing. And in college I was a cook and and cashiers and, you know, it's all still relevant. You just need to broaden your horizons. No, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a good way to round it out. And we'll, uh, you know, once I get this posted, we can provide some links maybe with our contact info and, uh, yeah, if you have any questions, feel free to ask us. We may, we may not be able to give you the best answers, but we can probably give you answers. Um, just however much you want to believe us. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Uh, I don't think you, I don't think you said, but where are you posting this at? Um, well, I'll figure it out. I think it's going to be on Ranger Outdoors, uh, ranger-outdoors.com. It'll be on. And then I'll make a page specifically for the podcast on the website. Um, and then it'll be probably on the Ranger Outdoors Facebook, as well as I could post some links on the Instagram as well. All right, man. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, it's just kind of a final, uh, final wrap up, uh, what do you got planned for this uh, coming up week? You now fishing? You gonna anything fun, exciting planned? Oh uh, well, actually, David Nail, the country singer, is from around here, and he's playing at the campground not too far away for fifteen bucks. Woo! There you so, go, brother. Uh, me and Tracy are thinking we're gonna go down and see him, and then uh, there's definitely some fishing holes I want to go try to catch some suckers and drums at, maybe some smallmouth too, but. The, the size and amount of suckers and drums we saw the other day at that little eddy, I uh, I want to go catch some and they're really good pickled and smoked and this clean water keeps those fillets real white. Oh, and I do want to say too, it's I don't know if you've been doing it at all, but it's it's crunch time. It's get out there and shoot the bow every day time. Yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, I'm totally with you. I mean, I keep my bow right by the door. I try and shoot about 10 arrows every day. As soon as I get home from work, I just got my block set up in the backyard. Um, 
Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, I think I, I flung about 50 today and I'll probably go like heavy one day, late the next day, heavy one day, late the next day, but 20 yards, I'm shooting inch and a half groups at. I'm feeling pretty good. 20 yards, 30 yards, I'm two inch groups and I'm, I'm feeling dangerous. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm not quite there yet, but we'll, we'll see. I got to, I'm I'm still learning, so I'm I'll I'll get there with my new bow, but uh yeah, but uh yeah. And then uh yeah, for me this week, um what do I got? Uh this weekend I'm gonna be heading back to Chicago, but probably by the time we release this next week is once I edit and everything. Um I'm gonna be running up at Treehaven. I'm gonna be teaching a fishing course, uh, beginner fishing up there. I'm gonna be spending the weekend up there with uh, it's gonna be me and about uh, 50 women. I'm gonna be teaching for uh, becoming an outdoors woman. It's a club, uh, a nationwide club. I'm gonna be teaching beginning fishing, and then I'm probably gonna be assisting with archery as well. So I'm really looking forward to that, and then. Uh, I'll probably, we'll see. I mean, I'm going to be shooting the bow, same thing next week, which it's getting to be early season teal is freaking two weeks away. I can't believe that already. Um, yeah, I've so been, I, that's another thing I got to start putting miles on, chasing down some little, little flocks of little birds. Yeah, exactly. So I'm planning on getting the boat out next week. I can go, I'm going to go check on some blinds, see what shape they're in. I'm going to go up and down the Wisconsin River and, see what I can find then. Yeah. And then I got to buy a new shotgun too. So I got, I got a lot of stuff in these next few weeks are going to be real, uh, real busy for me as far as getting prepped for duck hunting and all that stuff. So yeah. Any, any, anything to add any, uh, any rounds left in the chamber there? Uh, wherever, you are, wherever you're listening, just let us know you heard it. Tell us what you think and uh, give us ideas about what to talk to next. And, I can't thank you enough for making it this far into our, our incoherent <laughs> ramble. <laughs> Agreed.